Ah oui. So, um, in our sermons this year, we're going to be picking up the book of Romans again soon. That's, that's two weeks from now. We've got, you've got me this week, Mike next week coming to preach. He's got a message he wants to bring. And then the week after that, we'll be heading back into our very long series, but not long enough if you ask me, in the book of Romans. Getting back into Romans 8, the best chapter of the best book of the Bible. If, if that's not a selling point, I don't know what is. Um, so this, last, this, this, this week marks my last opportunity to, to do what I want. And uh, as I was preparing this week, I was talking with Elise one night this evening, and she said to me, Matt, will you preach to me about the hope of glory this week? I need to hear it. I'm like, that's a pretty good request. I can't say no to that. <laughs> so if you've got a Bible with you, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where we'll be looking at that very thing. Okay, there's a situation going on in the Church of Corinth that we need to be aware of to understand this passage that we're going to read. Uh, And as I explain it to you, I'm sure you'll find, like I do, that it is entirely relevant to the world that we live in. Corinth had an issue. Actually, in in the Church of Corinth, the, the New Testament Church of Corinth, there wasn't an issue. There was layers of issues. It is easily the most broken church in the New Testament. Um, but one of the big ones, just one of the big ones, was a group of false teachers. This was the problem that plagued the Apostle Paul throughout his earthly ministry. He was a traveling, church-planting apostle. He would travel to a city. He would see a church begin, where previously there was no church. And then eventually he would move on to do the same thing in another city. But throughout his life of ministry, after he would leave, in his wake would follow false teachers who would prey upon these new and fragile churches and twist and distort the message of Jesus in all sorts of weird and wonderful directions. In Corinth, these false teachers arose and their teaching took a somewhat unique form. They were teaching a triumphant, works-based life as Christianity, the life of Christianity. A triumphant, works-based life as Christianity. They went so far as to say, that, that, that Apostle Paul, yes, he's an apostle of Jesus. That's, that's, he's very important. I'm a super apostle. I'm, I'm a better apostle than the Apostle Paul. It's a bit of a bold claim. Hopefully you can, you can see that. He came to you in weakness and humility. That's pretty good. We come in strength and power. Okay, he, 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 had the, the, he, he was sick. He was afraid. He was fragile. He was a little bit ugly because he'd been beat up so many times in his life. I go to the gym, and I'm, I'm huge, like just completely and utterly swole, like a Christian should be. Weakness is not what Christianity looks like. Power. Power is what Christianity looks like. These guys were literally trained public speakers. That was a common category of person in that place in the ancient world. They literally spent a lot of time in the, in the gym and trained themselves in rhetoric, and they were like the, the ancient world's version of a billboard before they could build billboards, this is how you advertised your business, they'd get up in the marketplace and they would spruik you and everyone thought they were amazing. These people are using this technique now in the church. They had a lot in common with the prosperity gospel of our day. It's so popular in our culture that says that your faith should make you healthy, wealthy and wise and which carries um, a, a bit of a nice sound, I suppose. Like, that sounds pretty good. I'll take healthy, wealthy and wise. That sounds good. Until you aren't. And all that message can do is accuse you of not being good enough and not having enough faith. So Paul is writing this letter um, to this to this church to combat these people. I mean, they they had gone so far. We we read in in one of the Corinthian letters as to actually punch someone in church. 
Just, just so, someone was back talking and just poof, the left hand of fellowship. <laughs> so Paul is, is arguing against these super apostles. He's got to justify his own ministry. He's also got to explain the actual gospel, the actual message of Jesus and how it's different from what they are saying. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Can you feel the difference already? For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We preach... Jesus, not a human leader, do you understand? It is, it is folly. It is disastrous when we elevate some human teacher, even a good spiritual leader, even, even, even your favorite author and preacher. It's probably not me. I've, I've grieved it. It's okay. But if we elevate those people, it's Mike. It's Mike, isn't it? Yeah. I, hear, I, get, I get those emails every week. I just straight to the bin. Yeah. <laughs> to elevate someone even as great as our Mike to the place that belongs only to God. Because it is God alone who is the author of our faith. It is God alone who is the author of our faith. It is our encounter with him that transforms us from death to life, that brings us from sin to salvation, and there is no substitute for him. Nobody else can do what he alone can do. There is only one God, and him we proclaim. And the messenger who tells you about him is great, but is not him. He we proclaim. I'm expendable. Mike, yes, can be replaced. Don't forget it. <laughs> Jesus cannot. Without Jesus, this church is nothing. We do not proclaim ourselves but we proclaim Jesus Christ with us as your servants. You have been made spiritually alive because God is doing a miracle in you. That's what this church is. That's what we all are. How great is this light metaphor that gets used? For God who said, light shine out of dark, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a thing that comes from God himself. It harkens back to Genesis. In the beginning, the world was formless, flat. There was nothing. God said, let there be light. And because it is easier for light to come into existence out of nothing than for God to be a liar, light came into existence. Let there be light. And God created light. And that same God, do you understand? That same power, that same authority, that same absolutely incontrovertible will has spoken into you, Christians. And in the same way he said, let there be light, and there was light. He has said, let the light of Jesus, the glory of God in the face of Jesus, shine in you. And it has 
And it has. We have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is, this is just another way of saying Christians. We have seen him. We know him. He has been not only revealed to us, but perceived by us. We have seen him. We know him. In, in, in meeting him, we have been spiritually enabled to peer into eternity and see the glory that awaits us there, the glory of God himself. And in that saving sight of Jesus, we have been transformed and are being transformed. We don't talk about glory enough. We do not talk about glory enough. God's glory. If I was asked you to define it, could you? Mike was just telling me this week that he had a theology lecture not too long ago where the lecturer asked them, define glory. Notoriously difficult thing to do. God's glory is the, is the revelation of his, his value, his worth, his, his dignity, his, his, his being. Just the revelation of it. It's, it's when it is revealed and perceived. It's when the, the weight of the worth of God is seen as what it is. That is when God is being glorified. It's hard to think of an illustration of what that, that makes. This, the weight of his worth being revealed and perceived, and it, it creates a reaction. The best I could do was to think of all those superhero movies that we've all seen too many of over the last 10 years. There's that moment, right, somewhere during the battle scene where the, the hero does the cool hero thing, and then you get that low camera angle, and they strike the pose, and apparently squirrels do this too. I've got a photo up here of the squirrels doing the superhero thing, hopefully. I should have given you more warning. It's my fault. There he is. All right. You know that moment in the movies where they're, they're doing the thing? The hero has been glorified. They're revealing their, their value and their dignity and their worth. And it's like, that is an amazing squirrel. That's a good squirrel. God's glory, obviously, is more important than, than this. I know, I know. But when the creator of all things reveals himself so that he can be seen, when, when, when the being who can say, let there be light and light obeys him, is seen and perceived, there's a reaction. When, when, when mere mortals like us encounter the true and the living God in all of his value and dignity and worth, the word used is weight, it's heavy, it's delightfully world-ending. That's, that's the best description I can give it. In the Bible, there are a few occasions where, where someone gets a sight of him in this way, and they pretty much uniformly hit the deck like a dead person, just because to exist in his presence is too much to bear, even if it is delightful. Think about the Apostle John, who lived for years with the earthly Jesus. Maybe we can get the squirrel away, because I can't compete with that. Um, who lived for years with the earthly Jesus. Only then to encounter the risen Jesus on the island of Patmos. John, who, who knew him, who'd lived with him, who'd eaten with him, who'd had a closer earthly walk than Jesus than any of us could dare to hope, meets the risen Jesus on the island of Patmos and falls to the ground like a dead man. Because Jesus was now glorified. Do you understand? He's risen. 
and glorified. And what happens in conversion, what happens when someone becomes a Christian who was not previously a believer, is that a miracle has occurred. Something of God's glory, seen in the face of Jesus, is revealed to us. We couldn't see it before. This is different to learning about Jesus in in history class or just reading the Bible like a book. This is a spiritually profound miracle. Something of God's glory in the face of Jesus is revealed to us. It was always there, but we couldn't see it. But now we can see it. The veil is lifted. The scales fall from our eyes and we see Jesus for who he is. And suddenly we know him as captivating. Have you had this experience? Suddenly, this Jesus, who maybe you knew about your whole life, becomes the object of your worship and your adoration. We can't get close enough to him. That's what life is about. That's the difference between a believer and somebody who isn't there yet. God doing this miracle. That's that's what's happening in conversion. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. The same God has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Let there be light. Let there be faith. Take a look at this. And we are never the same. But all of that begins, do you understand? And here's the rub for us. All of that begins as an internal reality. And this is where the tension comes in. The light of knowledge. What I mean by this is that although we have all who are here today and are his, we all have some knowledge of this glory and and some knowledge of this transformation and life. All of that is going on inside us. We've perceived it. But the rest of the world hasn't yet. The world around us, even, even even our own bodies are yet to be transformed in the same way that we have been spiritually awakened. Which leads us to the next part of our passage, going from verse 7. Okay? The God who said, let light shine, has shone in us. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the unsurpassing power, sorry, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So so far are we from this constant state of easy, victorious strength that these super apostles were preaching. There is a seeming contradiction, isn't there, in the life of a Christian during this epoch of time that we all live in. We have this treasure, the glory of God, 
That's a treasure. We have it. You have it. It's yours. We have it in jars of clay. That's us. That's our earthly bodies. That's our frail old selves. In the ancient world, there were different kinds of storage vessels. And it is the cheap and fragile ones that were made of clay. You, you put the salt in there. You, you, didn't, you didn't store precious things in a jar of clay. Really basic. Isn't that flattering? <laughs> it makes, that, it makes that, um, that popular rock band from the 90s uh, just sound a little bit less cool, doesn't it, to know what it actually means. The hope of glory has taken root in each and every person who has come to believe. The presence of God himself, the power of the gospel, the glory of the living God is present. That hope is contained, that treasure is contained within a frail and failing person who is in many ways powerless to change the world around them. That is what a Christian is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. What is our life like in this world? I'm strong, always, and everybody likes me, and I have money and influence and handsomeness. No. We are afflicted in every way. That's what our life is like in this world. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That is the uncomfortable part. We suffer all the same things that everybody else in this world suffer. We go through all of the, the, the frailties and the tumultuous times and the illnesses and the plenty and the want and the everything. We, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. That's what's different. Unlike the unbelieving world, this affliction does not crush us because we have an enduring hope. We are perplexed. But we are not driven to despair. We are perplexed, brothers and sisters. Make no mistake about it. In this world, you will be perplexed. Why is this happening? I don't know. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Why would God allow this in my life? I can't figure it out. We're perplexed. We don't have all the answers. But we are not driven to despair. I don't understand. And yet, I still have hope. I still have grounds for hope. I know the one who holds the heavens together. And he is pleading my cause. He is my defender and my fortress and my hiding place and my refuge. I can't do anything about this. He can do something about this. And on the day that he decides to, it's over. And so I am not driven to despair. We don't despair. It is never hopeless. It's sad. It's grievous. It is not hopeless. I have seen him. I have that spiritual knowledge of him. I have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It is never hopeless as long as he exists. Am I right? It goes on and on. 
We're persecuted. But we're not abandoned. In the midst of my being persecuted for my faith in Jesus, He is with me and I have not been forgotten. I've been remembered. My name is known by the Lord Most High. We are struck down. How much further can you go than that? But we're not destroyed. It was Tertullian who said it, wasn't it? We multiply when you reap us. The blood of Christians is seed. The whole point here is that the work of God is doing in and through us something bigger and better than what life in this world can throw at us. It is so strong, it is so all-conquering, the life of God that is at work in you, that even if you were to be destroyed by this world, you still win. Even when we are crushed, we are winning. There's a few different kinds of boxes, right? The sport of boxing. Some of them are all power, but they tire out quickly, and their strategy in the fight is to get you in the first round before they get tired and can't throw a swing anymore. And then there's the other kind of boxer. The guy who can take a hit and keep going. They tell me this is how Ali beat Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle. He's aiming for the chest, not the head, not the glory shot, not the cheap KO. He's got to whinge it, wear you down. You punch him and he keeps coming back. You can't take a hit like he can take. And fortunately and unfortunately, that's a Christian. We aren't the victorious pony boys. We are the enduring faith that doesn't give up and wins. The worst that they can do is kill us and send us home, which is where we'd rather be. He likens us to Jesus. Jesus, this was his life on this earth, wasn't it? He's, he is our pattern for the life of faith. Jesus himself, whose life in this fallen world was full of suffering, was a homeless dude who was <laughs> taken as a refugee, as a baby to Egypt, where his parents had to flee so that the rulers of, this day, of, of his day would not murder him as an infant who faced the hostility of all of the established religious leaders, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the hypocritical rulers, until finally those religious leaders and rulers conspired with the power of the state to kill him. And yet he rose from the dead, victorious, having conquered all his enemies, and the day is coming when he will sit in judgment on all of those people and every knee will bow. This is the pattern of our lives. The suffering of Jesus is present in our mortal bodies. We shouldn't expect anything else. Don't be surprised when suffering comes your way as a Christian. It's not necessarily because something has gone wrong. We welcome the suffering of Jesus. Yes, I went that far as to say welcome in our mortal bodies because we are waiting for the moment when the life of Jesus will be manifested in our mortal bodies as well. We are like him in this world. Our hope is not ultimately here. We have hope here, 
because our hope is safe elsewhere. We have a better home. We have a better hope, an eternal one, which is defined by the weight of God's glory, which means what's happening now is temporary. It has limits and it does not define us. The false teachers were wrong. This is good news. The presence of suffering in your life does not automatically mean that either you or God has failed. It might mean that you have failed. Right? You, you can do stupid things and bring needless suffering into your life. But the connection isn't automatic. The righteous suffer in this world. And it's not a defeat. It's okay. We will survive. We will thrive. Grace will win. Now this reality lands in our present circumstances, not in a constant power living, but in a hope-filled, enduring worship. Why don't we keep reading? Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. This is, remember, this is Paul talking to this, this church being deceived by the false teachers. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. I'll read that again. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is our hope. God will raise us with Jesus and will bring us and me with you into his presence. And that not only that, but more and more people are going to come and join us in that as grace extends to more and more people, increasing thanksgiving to the glory of God. Despite whatever challenges life throws at us here and now, despite whatever the, the, the present evil age has managed to accomplish. This is the story of the Christian life, not moving from strength to strength, immune to the woes of this world. It is the story of enduring hope, waiting for a certain resurrection and the subsequent glories. And that's good news, if you think about it. The victorious, untroubled life sounds better until you realize that there is not a one of us here living it. And if that's what Christianity is, none of us are Christians. 
sounds like a blessing and delivers a noose. We are a different thing. Do you notice that other bit that we just read? Our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed as we move towards that day. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed as we move towards that day. Are you falling apart? I feel like I'm falling apart. I hurt my back before Christmas. It's still sore. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Like Abby said this morning, getting the kids in the car and making it here, was that, was that like the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows that Jesus walked trying to get them to buckle the seatbelt up finally so that you could make it on time? Did you yell at them the whole way here from your house down every street until you pulled into the car park where suddenly you were transformed into a happy family for everyone to see? <laughs> Do not ask my kids how this morning went. Our outer self is wasting away. Are you getting old? It's morning church, some of you, the answer is yes. Things just start breaking for no reason. It turns out that that sleep is a quiz and there's a wrong answer. And if you do it wrong, there's consequences. You don't know that when you're a child, do you? Sleep like a pretzel, bounce out of bed in the morning, jerks. But our inner self is being renewed, made new. That's what renewed means, made new. Each and every day, our inner self is made new. It's like there is that youthful exuberance in an aging saint, isn't there? Have you met them? We've got some here. The best example of this are those, those believers who are sitting right there on death's door who are still absolutely delighted with their Lord. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, I was speaking to him, his, his mother passed away and they, w- they were there when she was dying and she was, she was whispering, they couldn't hear what she was saying and so he leaned in close to hear what she had to say. She was singing hymns as she died. That's us. They shine, though their outer self is wasting away. Their inner self is being renewed, made new. And so, we do not lose heart. Do you know what what it means to lose heart, don't you? It's when you give up. It's it's when you give yourself over to hopelessness. When When you allow your eyes to be ripped from what is true and what is eternal into what is temporary. How is your heart today? That's the question. Is the certain knowledge of God's eternal promise to you as his child giving shape to your experience of today's testings? It's hard to hang on to that goal, isn't it? For a few reasons. And I think the biggest one is this. Because we can't see that yet. We, we get glimpses, right? But we can't. I can see today, I can't see tomorrow. I can, I can look at this present fallen world and see the woes. I don't see the glory of God with my eyes each and every day. I can't see it. And there's an irony in that. Because it turns out the things which we can see with our eyes are passing away. They're transient. They're not here forever. They're temporary. And the things which are eternal 
are in this present moment invisible were it not for that miracle of God. Isn't that a strange world that we live in? A world where the things that seem most substantial are the least important. Where what really matters is invisible. The things which we can see are passing away. And it is the invisible things which are eternal. And so, brothers and sisters, if we are not to lose heart, there is a choice that we need to make to cooperate with what God is doing and to fix our attention where it belongs. On an invisible, eternal, enduring, unfading, undefiled, unperishing hope. On the knowledge that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, that not one second of this is being wasted. Placed side by side, there is an obvious victor in the game of what's more important. There's glory coming for us. And so the pain of today is worth enduring in faith and in hope. We can't always change our circumstances, but we do not lose heart. Let's give him our attention together now. Our Father, we are not strong. Be our strength. We are distractible. We have these broken hearts that keep looking for a saviour anywhere but in you. Like if I could just order this world correctly and everybody would do it my way, then there'd be peace. Forgetting that if I could order the world my way, it'd still be filled with sin because I'm a sinner. fall into the trap of believing that if I could, if I could solve my immediate pain, if, if I could just make that go away, then everything would be okay. But you've got a better message for me. The, the promise that we have in Christ is, is, is not dependent on that. It is over and above those things. Lord, when I, when I hear the message that your victory being played out in me might take the form of my being crushed and perplexed. I don't like that. But I want it to be true. Because I am crushed and I am perplexed. And I want your victory anyway. And Lord, if it's true, then no matter what this world throws at me, you're going to win. And you are winning. And your grace has extended to me. And your grace is extending to others more and more. And Lord, we pray that it would increase to the thanksgiving and glory of your name. Lord, if your will for my life is suffering in my flesh, like Jesus did, 
so that the resurrection of Jesus would also be experienced in the same way in my flesh. Amen. How could we do anything else, our Lord? We've seen you. We know who you are. And there is none but you. Keep our souls safe, even as our bodies perish, until you bring us home. We pray in Jesus' name.